God speaks his word today to us from Psalm 118, verses 14 through 24. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is beautiful outside. And as Dolores said, as long as we don't have to shovel too much of it, but it's just great. It's so fun to watch. So, well, I'm thankful that we get to spend a little bit of time uh, together, uh, and I think you're in for a real, uh, a real treat today, because you're about to see two of the most theologically complex videos ever, ever. And so I need to set up the first one for you. The first video that we're going to see uh, is a synopsis of the Reformed view of soteriology. That is, uh, this is how we believe salvation happens. Um, are you ready? Okay, good. Because it's pretty profound, and, and you might want to take notes uh, about how complicated this is. Okay, are we ready for the first video? All right, let's watch it. <laughs> it's, pr- it's pretty profound if you think about it for a minute, isn't it? This is, this is our view of salvation. How does that work? Just like that. Right? This is Jesus coming to a person who is absolutely stuck, would never get out on their own. They can't save themselves. Jesus is going to come and pull them out of the pit. Okay, and so for several years, I was convinced that that video was like the perfect illustration of, uh, of our relationship with Jesus ever. Like that was the best video ever of, 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 a, of a synopsis of our relationship with Jesus. But now... I think there is equally, uh, an equally good video that, that I think competes with it a little bit. And so, so you just got to beware. This one's a little more complicated uh, because this, is, uh, this video is the reformed view of sanctification. So how we should live and, and how Jesus continues uh, to work and make us holy in our struggles with sin. All right. So, so now we've set up the second one. Are you guys ready? (laughs) 
perfect, right? Like, this is sanctification. Je- Jesus will continue to be faithful to us as sinners, even though we uh, still try to rebel, even though we run away and, and don't follow him. And he keeps on pulling us out of the pit over and over. He never leaves us. Well, this morning I have good news for you, but I also have some bad news. And, and so just let me start with the bad news. The bad news is that you and I are sheep. We are sheep. Just like those foolish goofballs we just saw, the ones who keep getting themselves into trouble, uh, who aren't very good at protecting themselves, that is us. And that is how the Bible describes us over and over again. We are sheep. But here's the good news, right? So we are sheep. The good news is that we are sheep of his pasture. This morning we are going to look at some of the most important words of Jesus. And and there's a couple of them, but in John chapter 10, we we have these descriptions and we have these promises of who Jesus is is and, and, and what he has come to do for us. So, so let's pray as we begin our time together. Father, we come as sheep who need your leading, who need your guiding. We need your protection. Father, would you guide us this morning? Would you lead us into your truth? Would you change our hearts and minds through your word? Yes, this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'll turn to John chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we have been in a study the last few weeks uh, of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. We saw two weeks ago where Jesus said that he was the bread of life, the bread of life. And And he said that he is the only thing that will truly fill us. He's the only thing that will ever truly satisfy us or sustain us. Everything else will come up empty. Jesus is the bread of life. And then last week, we heard Jesus tell us that he is the light of the world. And he said that the the world is full of darkness 
which we saw was the absence of, of light. It needs light in the world. And so, so those of us who have walked in darkness without hope, we can now see the light. We can see Jesus. He is the light. And so this morning, we're going to see a new I am statement. And, and what's interesting is John chapter 10 actually has two I am statements, and we're going to see the second one next week. They're related to one another, but they're different. We'll, we'll see the, the second better known statement, uh, I am statement of Jesus uh, next week. But these two in chapter 10 are both sheep related. And, and, and to be honest, this, this chapter could be a little bit confusing because, um, because the two statements are kind of made together. And so it's like, well, what did he, did he just say that about himself? But he said this too, and what are we talking about here? So they both give us a better view of who Jesus is, but we want to split them up. We're going to take them one at a time. And, and, and we've said before, they, these I am statements reveal the, the mission of Jesus, what he came to do as the Messiah, and how he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. To, to make sense of this first statement, the one we just read, uh, we, need, we need a little bit of background, and, and I want to give you some context to this incredible story. This is an incredible moment that happens here in John 10. And so just in terms of the Bible, just a reminder that, that when John sat down and he wrote this gospel, when he wrote this letter, he did not break it up into chapters and verses. Okay, we, we did that later to help us be able to find our way around it. John didn't write those in there. He just wrote the story. So, so as John is writing this story, oftentimes they're just, those chapters are connected. It's just moving along in the story, and that's, that's what we're going to see here. Chapter 9 is related to what we, we have just read in chapter 10. So, so, so chapter 9 is this really well-known story where, a uh, beautiful story where, where there's a man who has been born blind, and, and, um, and Jesus is going to heal him. And if you remember the story they walk up and say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this guy or was his parents? Right? He's born blind. And what's, what's going on? And, and Jesus is going to kind of correct their thinking. And he, puts, he spits in the dirt. If you remember, he spits in the dirt and he makes this mud. And then he slaps the mud in this guy's eyes. And, and when he washes off, he's able to see. He, his vision is, is, is restored. He, he is no longer blind. And, and everyone's astonished. This is an amazing moment. <clears throat> but the Pharisees, of course are angry that this happened, that this story happened, and, and they're going to start treating this new, newly visioned man poorly. They're, they're saying, I don't even think this guy was ever blind. He's just a con man, right? They don't even believe his story, or at least they want to refute the story uh, just so they can write off Jesus. And uh, they even bring in his parents to testify, hey, was this guy born blind, or what's the deal with him? Is he a liar? And, and at some point, this, the, the man has this, you know, really memorable statement where he says, all I know is that I used to be blind, and now I can see. You guys figure out the details of that. All I know is that this man over here made me, who was blind, now able to see. In, instead of being excited for this man, the Pharisees uh, get angry, and they even kick him out of the temple. Uh, they excommunicate him, which is a, a really fancy word, but they kick him out. They say, you're not a part of us. Get out. He was excommunicated by the religious leaders for testifying about a miracle of Jesus. Think about that for just a second. This is how weird and backwards everything is, is in this story, in this moment. 
And let's just say that Jesus is angry, okay? Jesus is angry about how they have treated this poor man who now can see. And Jesus would say, you, the religious leaders, you are the ones who are supposed to be taking care of guys like this. You're supposed to be taking care of the people. You're supposed to be shepherding the people of God. You're supposed to be leading them to truth. But instead, you're leading them to death. And so so chapter 10 starts in this very context. The same group of people who just saw this miracle, who just saw the guy get kicked out of the the temple, who who are watching the Pharisees, and they're all standing there. This is the moment that, that, that Jesus is speaking in chapter 10. So he, he takes this moment because Jesus is really smart and he says, I'm going to use this example of sheep and shepherds, a very common thing. Everybody would have known about it during this time. And I'm going to use it to describe what's going on here. This idea of leaders and followers. What's, what's taking place with these religious leaders in this moment? <clears throat> so the thieves and the robbers that he's going to talk about in verse 1, those are the Pharisees. This, this gives us just a little bit of context as we read our passage. These are the Pharisees. And, and, and so any other religious leader who tries to lead God's people astray, these are the thieves and robbers that, that Jesus is speaking of. And, and another thing that I want to tell you is, 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 is the, shepherding, the shepherding context of Judea. We need to understand that a little bit because it helps understand the story. And, and Jesus is going to talk about two different shepherding scenarios in, in our 10 verses, he's going to talk about two different things. And, and the first is what we would, we would call the communal sheepfold, a communal sheepfold. And every town and village in, in those days would have had just a, a, large, a large pen, a large sheepfold where, where, where any, any shepherd could have brought their, their flock in for a certain time, maybe a night when the weather was going to be bad or whatever. They would just take them into town, and there was this communal sheepfold. And those villages had a man who was hired. He was the hired hand, and his job was to protect the gate, to make sure it didn't get, you know, knocked open, to get, make sure nobody comes in, tries to steal anybody else's sheep. He's there. He's overnight. He's the watchman. He's the protector. I want to show you a, a, a picture of a, of a communal sheepfold. I think we've got one. This is, this is what it would have looked like. And so you can kind of see it's a, it's a pretty good-sized thing. It's fairly fortified. It's got some... De- divisions. It, just think big, right? If, and if everybody was going to bring theirs in from town, there could be hundreds of sheep in this thing. So pretty good sized, pretty, guy, pretty good sized situation. So multiple flocks, right? They're kind of mixing in as sheep would normally do. And in the morning, the shepherd's going to show back up. And amazingly, <clears throat> he can whistle and he can actually call his own sheep by name. And, and the flocks just sort themselves. They go to their shepherd. Now, if we had tons of time, I would show you some really cool videos. You can do YouTube this later of shepherds calling their own sheep by name and their voice, and, other, and they'll ignore these other voices that are calling, but they'll go to the one that they know. It's incredible. I, I've never had sheep, so I don't know that much about it, but amazing stuff. Cows don't do this, by the way. You can't call cows by their names. They don't come to you, but sheep will. And so the shepherd would just walk up and go, hey, you know, they all had nicknames. Hey, Spotty. Hey, Brown Eye. Come here. And they would all just come. And they really do this. And he would just take his own sheep out. And the others that weren't his would stay put. Um, 
They know their shepherd's voice. It's an, it's an incredible thing. They don't come to strangers. They wouldn't, they wouldn't acknowledge my own whistle or call. They would wait for their own shepherd to, to, to move. Okay, so that's kind of the communal thing. Now that, and there's going to be a second thing that Jesus is going to talk about. We'll just call it the rust, rustic pen. And, and, and this is out in the countryside somewhere. It's not in town. And, and the timing of this would be, let's say you're out grazing at night. You know, you're grazing some field. and You just need a place to kind of put them. There's a couple of video or a couple of pictures. This would be a rustic one, right? Notice how much smaller this is. It, some guys have piled up some rocks in the middle of a field. Um, I think there may be one more. I don't know. If they're about kind of the same. You know, a little bit bigger one there. They're not quite the same sort of structure that you would see in town. Smaller, less fancy. Um, one thing to notice is there is no door. So in the communal one, there's this gate, and there's this gatekeeper, and he's the one that, you know, makes, does all of that. These didn't have a door. And, you, and because I don't know anything about sheep, I go, why in the world didn't they put a door on it? The shepherd is the door. And there's amazing stories, and it still happens today, that shepherds will take their, put up their sheep in there, and they will just sleep in the doorway. No sheep's getting out of there because they're keeping the door closed with themselves. They are the door. So you know where I'm already going with this. But this is the point that all the people that Jesus is talking to would have known that you and I don't understand because we didn't live back then. Nothing can go in unless he lets them in. Nothing can get, get out unless he lets them out right? So now we can see Jesus is painting a beautiful picture um, using this illustration of a shepherd and these sheep and these, these pens. So let's kind of start with the story of the communal pen, <clears throat> which is verses 1 through 6. Let's look at those again. I'll just read it real quickly. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure, figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he is saying to them. Okay, one other piece I need to just tell you that in the, in the East and during, you know, biblical times, um, shepherding was different than, than what, like, you and I probably see in modern times. There were no sheepdogs back then. There were no, you know, guys on horseback driving sheep. Uh, you want to think about, you know, corralling them and driving and pushing. That's not how it worked back then. Shepherds led in these days. Shepherds led and sheep will follow their shepherd. So where the shepherd goes, the sheep will follow. And, and they will call them, they will use their voice, and those sheep will respond and follow the voice that they know. And so Jesus is telling us here that these, these Pharisees are imposters, right? They're climbing over the walls of, of this communal sheep pen and trying to, you know, toss sheep out, leading them, leading them stealing them, taking them the wrong ways. Today, I think Jesus would say the same thing to a lot of religious leaders who are, you know, trying to give Jesus' sheep something other than the gospel. The voice of the shepherd is found in the scriptures, is found in the good news of the gospel. 
Okay, so that's the first six verses. We're kind of moving because I want to spend more time in this next part, right? And, and so this, this is in the rustic pen, out in the hillside, smaller, not as big a thing. And Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, so let's focus on verse 9 in this moment. Remember the image that Jesus is using, this, this rustic pen with no door. Jesus, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. He is the one who controls what goes in and what goes out. He protects his sheep from strangers coming in. And if we, we think of this image with his people, he guides us when we try to go out on our own because we are foolish. And, and I, I want you just to make, to make clear as we look at this verse 9 where he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let me just be real clear that Jesus is explaining the gospel in this moment. We are sheep. We need protection. He is the door. He is not a door. He is not one of many doors. He is the only door. The only way in. So if you want salvation, then Jesus is the door into that pen, into that salvation. I I just love as he's sharing this good news he doesn't say he is the ladder or he is the wall that we have to climb. He doesn't say that. We don't have to achieve any level of climbing to get in. We just go through the door. And he doesn't say that he is the ticket, meaning you and I can't buy our way in on this thing. We don't have to purchase a ticket to get in. And he doesn't say that he is the maze or the passageway. And as long as we walk long enough and hard enough and figure out the riddle, get through the mystery, that if we can survive the gauntlet, that we can come in. He doesn't say any of those things. He is the door. He is the door. And he says anyone, anyone in verse 9, anyone. So hear hear what he's not saying. He's not saying, if a qualified person comes. He He didn't say, if a person of good reputation comes. If a person from the right kind of family comes. He says, anyone can come. If anyone enters, he will be saved. Okay, so let's look at verse 10, because it, it, we need to spend a few minutes here. It's, it's worth some time. It says, the thief kill, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So let me just tell you, there are three different views about this verse. And, and the best 
I'd say most accurate scholars tend to uh, go with what I call the Goldilocks approach, and I'll explain what that means here in just a second. One group says, Jesus says that he came so that we would have a good life of abundance. A good life of abundance. So Jesus wants you to have your heart's desire. Ferrari? Sure. Learjet? Sure. Mansions all over the world? Just name it, and they're yours. The, uh, this abundant life is free of trouble and sickness. You'll only have happy families and perfect kids. All of it. That's what a good life of abundance looks like, and that's what Jesus promised us. So, in reaction to that group, a second group says, nope, Jesus is only talking about eternal life here. That's the only thing that he means by abundant. That's all he's talking about. So, when, when Jesus talks about abundant, he's talking about quantity only, meaning a long, long time, thus eternity. You will live forever. And I'll just tell you, I grew up with pastors who, who taught me that this was the way. You had that way and that way. But I, as I've gotten older, as I've read more, as I've studied more, I, I realize there is a, what I would call the Goldilocks group with this passage who says, that's too hot, that's too cold. There's a, there's a place that's just right. And, and so these scholars would emphasize, yes, the big emphasis is on eternal life. We're talking about salvation here. That's as good as it gets. Eternal life is good. So those who are saved will live forever. And there are warnings all over Scripture about a life of abundance, meaning God never intends for us to be free from trouble, and, and that a life of pursuing pleasure and your heart's desire and comfort, and that's never been the pathway of discipleship. Jesus never talks about anything like that. But... Maybe there's a middle ground that we can, we can see in places like Psalm 23. Listen to verses 5 and 6 of, 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 of this well-known psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That sounds like a Goldilocks kind of thing to me, doesn't it? The abundant life of a disciple, meaning you're dealing with the goodness of the Lord in his presence, and these blessings are overflowing, and they may not look like possessions, but they're the possessions, are the blessings of Jesus, right? Of, a, of the blessings of a sheep who has been led to green pastures, and where you can say, I lack nothing because you've brought me here. Remember the promise that Jesus gave what we talked about in John 6, that, that those who feed on the bread of life are truly satisfied. It's the only place we'll ever find real satisfaction is in him. And, and, and what Jesus means is that in, in the presence of the Lord, we will have all that we want. That's the kind of satisfaction he's talking about. We are beyond satisfied. We have this abundance in his presence. We have a shepherd who knows us, a shepherd who loves us, who leads us. And that has nothing to do with Ferraris or jets or life without trials. Jesus does bring quantity, right? Eternal life. But he also brings quality. There's, an, a, there's a quality aspect to this. 
that the life of a disciple is the most fulfilling, joyful life that any human on this earth can experience. You want true happiness? It's found in following Jesus. You want an abundant, joyful, fulfilling life? It's found in following Jesus. That's what an abundant life looks like. We should be the most joyful people on the planet because we know the shepherd. And so if you know Jesus as the door and have have entered salvation through him, then your life is not dull. It's exciting. And, and, And a life like that should be a life of praise, a life of gratitude, a life of service, knowing that we have joy in the presence of the Lord and that the power of the Holy Spirit lives in us. Boy, that's abundance. It has, again, nothing to do with Ferraris and big houses. I want you to hear again the passage that Dolores read in, from Psalm 118. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate or door, as we've been talking about, of the Lord, through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Jesus is that door. He is the only way to that salvation. It's not by giving lots of money or being a really good person. It's not by knowing philosophy or having a good education. It's not having the correct political party or having a certain social standing. You and I are sheep prone to wander, as we know. But for those who come to the door of Jesus, you can be a sheep of his pasture, one who is fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, fully protected. And he won't lose you because he is the door. That's the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the image, this good, good news in the midst of bad news that we are sh- wandering sheep. The good news is that you lead us, you lead us to yourself, you lead us to green pastures, to eternal life, to salvation, to freedom, to a quality and a qu- quantity of life beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And it's all because of Jesus. God, help us to know, to hear, and respond to this good news of the gospel. Thank you, Father. Amen.